Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Wonderful. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, bring very warm and sincere Christian greetings from the Bonacord Church family. Uh, it's wonderful to be in partnership together in the gospel in our city. Uh, and uh, just to say thank you on behalf uh, of the church family and a thank you from, from our family as well for your prayers. Uh, I know many of you uh, pray for us regularly as a church family. You uphold us in prayer Uh, And be assured that we do as well pray regularly uh, for the ministry here and for your life together uh, as a family, uh, a church family here uh, together with us in Aberdeen. Uh, If you have a Bible, uh, please would you turn uh, to page 808. It's Matthew chapter 3, 808. In the large print, it's 960. And we'll read together from Matthew chapter 3 and the whole chapter. This is the word of God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. This is the word of the living God. Uh, Please keep that passage open in front of you as we look at it together. uh, And let's pray for God to speak now as we have his word open. Our Father, how we thank you that we have just read your word spoken from heaven about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is your Son, that you love him and are well pleased with him. And so now we pray, speak that word again to our hearts today. Lord, we pray by your Spirit, show us more of Jesus in all his majesty, glory, power, and dominion, and in his grace, compassion, and mercy, we pray. For we ask in his name. Amen. Uh, Well, I don't know if you've managed to keep up the last couple of years, but we have been treated in this country anyway to a lot of royal pageantry Uh, Boys and girls, I don't know if you've seen on the TV the last couple of years, there's been lots, hasn't there? Uh, Gold carriages, uh, big palaces, uh, great churches, uh, all the way back, uh, it feels a long time ago now, doesn't it, to the Platinum Jubilee, uh, followed closely by uh, the death and, and the funeral of Her Majesty the Queen, and then most recently, the King's coronation. Uh, Some of you no doubt have been glued to to all of it. Maybe some of you have let it all uh, pass by. Uh, I've been somewhere in the middle. Uh, But something really struck me, actually, uh, in in the Queen's funeral. At one moment, towards the end of the service, and everything had kind of happened, uh, and the trumpets then played a really mournful, sad tune, I guess, to to give everyone a chance to process what what they'd seen, what they'd heard, to, to grieve. And then it stopped, and there was a minute of silence. And on the TV, it just showed uh, pictures of of people gathered in different places around the country, but behind it, silence, nothing. It felt like the whole world had fallen silent in grief for a well-loved queen. But then the whole thing turned the trumpets played again, now uh, no longer sad, but, but a, a fanfare. And everyone stood in the church and they sang together, God Save the King. It's a huge turning point in the service. It was a huge turning point for the nation from grieving for a queen to singing for a king. And we need to understand, just dropping into Matthew 3 as we are this morning, that that is the kind of turning point that we have come to Uh, not only in the life of a nation, but in in the life of the world and in God's plan for his world. Understand, years have passed since the end of chapter 2, and John the Baptist comes onto the scene, and what message does he have for the people? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's kingdom is at the doorstep, he said. God's king is here. He's giving a royal fanfare. 
You've got to imagine him blasting away on a trumpet. Any moment now, he says, you're all going to have to stand and sing, God save the king. And if that wasn't big enough, that fanfare breaks not a minute of silence, but 400 years of silence. 400 years since God last spoke through a prophet to his people. It's only a few pages back in our our Bibles, but those few pages back to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, they represent nearly half a millennium in time, 400 years since people had heard God speak. And if a minute felt long, what did those 400 years feel like? Now, after 400 years, here comes a herald. Please be upstanding, he says, and get ready to welcome your rightful king. Now, what king, you say? I don't see a king in our passage. We'll just take a look at verse 3 and see who John is preparing the way for. Who's coming? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That's day, if, if someone important is coming, maybe we would roll out a red carpet, something like that, for them to walk on. Uh, but back then, if a king was returning from a victory in battle, they wouldn't bother with carpets. They would build a brand new road along a straight road for the king to process down back into the city. And that is what Isaiah is talking about in that quote. And that is what John is doing, not physically, but spiritually, because he is preparing the way for the Lord, not only a Lord, a King, but God himself, Yahweh, the Lord, that is who's coming. The kingdom is near because the King is here, the divine King, the God of heaven. He is coming in person. So how do we get ready for his coming? Uh, Well, if you got a letter through your door saying that you were going to have a visit from King Charles, what would you do? Uh, It wouldn't just be a a kind of a quick sweep around with the hoover, would it? At least not in my house. Okay, the floors would be scrubbed, the curtains would come down and and be washed. There wouldn't be a, a, a bit of the house that was left untouched. Even in the cupboard under the stairs, maybe the king was to take a wee peek. You would want it to be nice and tidy for him, wouldn't you? Not a square inch would be left unprepared for a visit from the king. And so what about the great king? The divine king? The God of heaven? The Lord of lords? The king of kings? He who rules not from a throne on earth, but from the throne in heaven, if that is how we would prepare for a royal visit from Charles, well then, how would we prepare if this divine king was on his way? You need to remember as we come to this passage this morning that that is not an if, but a when. The king has come, and the king is coming again. And our passage tells us two ways that we prepare for him to come. John gives us the first way, and Jesus the second. Firstly then, what does John say? Turn, the rightful king is coming. 
turn. The rightful king is coming. Uh, Now, if I had turned up this morning wearing anything like John wore, uh, maybe I wouldn't get invited back. A leather coat, uh, a hairy coat, a leather coat would be strange to you, but a hairy coat and a leather pelt. If I had come uh, and as a snack I had brought some dried locusts and some honey to dip them in, okay, maybe you'd think, what's wrong with this guy? Okay, what's he choosing to do with his life? What is John up to? John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. That's original, we think. But the point is, it wasn't original. It's not normal, but it had been done before because this was another prophet's signature look back in 2 Kings 1. A prophet gives a message for some guys to take back to Israel's king, and the king asked them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you about these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist, and the king said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He knows it's Elijah based on what he was wearing. And so why is John wearing Elijah's signature outfit? Well, I said a moment ago that this is the first word of God through a prophet since the end of the Old Testament. And do you know how the Old Testament ends? Back in Malachi chapter 4, the last verses, verses 5 and 6, what do they say? God says, Behold, I will, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. God's last promise was to send Elijah again. In his day, Elijah had turned the hearts of God's people back to the true and living God, and that was what was needed once again. So while it's shocking, it's no surprise that John dressed like Elijah because in a sense, that's who he was. That's what he was there to do, a second Elijah, to call God's people to turn back to him in spirit and in truth. He was sent to turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. He was sent to turn hearts hardened by sin into soft and ready hearts by the gospel of the kingdom of God. And friends, that is how we prepare for the coming of the great king still. We need not our homes cleaned, but, but our hearts cleansed. That is why that change of heart, as Struan said, was represented by a baptism, a washing in water. Everyone Going out to him, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That is why they went to have their hearts turned inside out, to turn their lives around 180 degrees, to walk in a new direction. That was marked outwardly by that baptism. Mark Mark calls that baptism in his gospel a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a a turn-your-life-around baptism. A clear-your-heart-out baptism. When when someone dies and leaves a house, what do the family do? They they come to the house, don't they? Maybe some of you have had to do this yourselves. and, And they have to sort through the contents of the house, don't they? 
old things, treasured things, maybe, but what does it all have to do? It all has to go. And so the family, they get a skip outside the house, don't they? And they clear the whole contents of that house into that skip to be taken away. And then what? They, they get a van full of, of cleaning equipment and cleaning products, and they strip that house from, from top to bottom. They clean it out. Friends, that is what happens when someone dies to their sin and turns to Christ. The old furniture, the old fittings, they all have to be cleared out of the hearts. Even things that perhaps meant a lot to us in an old life, old habits, old loves, old ways of thinking, we confess that it is sin. And the Holy Spirit comes in and and washes our hearts clean from those lesser loves. Now, if I were to ask you, have you done that today? Is that ye? Well, if you are a Christian, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say, yes, it is. I have turned from serving my sin to serving the King. And we still do sin but our allegiance is no longer to our sin. Our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus. And so when we sin, we turn again. We confess it as sin. We put it away. But if I was to ask you, is that what your baptism was for? Was your baptism a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? What, what would you say? Well, the answer is no. Or, or, or not quite. Okay, why is your baptism not the same as John's baptism? What's changed? Well, his baptism was a getting ready baptism to prepare for the coming of the great king. What has changed since then? Well, the great king has come. Christ is here. Listen to this conversation that, that Paul has a bit later on in the book of Acts, Acts 19 in Ephesus. He meets some Christians and he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So understand, John's baptism was good for its time, says Paul, but it was only preparing the ground for the real thing, which is the baptism that Jesus gives. John said it himself, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John's baptism, it's not quite your baptism. If you're a Christian today, you have a Jesus baptism. But what John's baptism does stress, it puts front and center for us that we still need to hear, is the need for every person to turn to the rightful king. John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know that the very first words of Jesus' own public ministry 
there in, in chapter 4. If you just turn over the page to chapter 4 and verse 17 and, and see. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, they preached the same sermon, John and Jesus. Turn, be changed, get ready. The kingdom is near and the king is here. And that is still what Jesus calls each of us to today. Turn, for the rightful king is coming. So how then do we turn and and get ready? Well, John is super clear on what repentance is. He says there to the religious leaders of the day, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. These Pharisees and Sadducees, what's he saying? They could talk the talk, but they were not walking the walk. They'd come to the baptism, but they weren't there for the right reason. Perhaps they were a bit like sort of local counselors or dignitaries that go to a community event to show their face. Maybe it was a kind of fact-finding mission, let's see what's going on. We, we know they weren't against John at first, at least, but John is against them. He calls them a brood of vipers. What, what, what's a brood? It's a way of talking about your children, isn't it? So what's he saying? That they are, they are offspring of the serpent. That's who they are. Remember God's promise to the serpent back in Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. John says that they are children of the devil. They are opposed to the woman's child, to the Christ. And how can he tell? Because they have come to the getting ready party for the king, but they are not getting ready. They come thinking that their roots are planted by the deep flowing waters of God's word, but their fruit tells a different story. How they live, the things that they say, what they love, how they treat others or or don't treat others, how they think, what they want. It's all rotten. See, turning in repentance to Christ, friends, it is not only words. We must confess our sin as sin. We must tell that to God. But words are not enough. What is needed is a change. We must really change. Now, that is not to say that the way that we live is what saves us. We know that it's not. But it's saying if our hearts have truly turned to Christ the King, then our lives will follow. When I was learning to drive, my driving instructor would often say, look the way you want to go. The point is, you will drive the car in the way that you are looking. And it's the same in the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, if the eyes of our hearts are set on the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives will follow. Now, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But however it happens, we will be going in his direction. And I hope that comes as an encouragement to some of you this morning whose hearts are set on Jesus, but perhaps you are not seeing the kinds of change in you that you would want to see, or perhaps not as quickly as you would like to see it change. 
I hope it is encouraging for you to know that that change is happening. Because your roots are in the right place, the fruits of repentance will grow. Because the eyes of your heart are set on Jesus, your life will follow. It takes a lifetime, but it is happening. Perhaps this morning there are some of you who need to set the the eyes of your heart on Christ for the very first time. Perhaps you have not turned to him. You, You might have been in church all of your life. You might have family who are Christians, but it's all still out here for you. You might have heard this sermon a thousand times, but you have still not followed. John warns, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What's he saying? As we sit here in church today, friends, know that sitting here in church is not the same as heart change. Nor is having been baptized into a Christian family. Nor is having said the sinner's prayer once. All those things might be true of us, but the gospel commands us today to live lives worthy of a changed heart. If you're not sure whether your heart is turned to Christ and set on him, the question for you to ask yourself this morning is not, did that prayer that I once prayed, did that prayer work? Or even, was I chosen by God before the foundation of the world? The question to ask is, am I trusting in and submitting to you and living for King Jesus today? Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I don't know many of you very well, But what I do know is that that is a call that you need to hear every day. That is a call that I need to hear every day of our lives, whoever we are, to turn from our sin and submit to God's will and work in our lives, to work out our salvation with a holy and a God-given resolve. Because the seriousness of this call to turn, it could not be clearer, could it? Malachi said, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble, that day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. 400 years later, John says the same. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But now Jesus has come. You say, now Jesus has come. Everything is changed What does John say about Jesus? His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Brothers and sisters, know today if your trust is in Jesus Christ, your heart is turned to him. You have been spared that. But none of us can leave here thinking that our response to this call to repent is inconsequential, unimportant, what we do with it today, what we do with it this week. Friends, it is of eternal significance how we prepare, how we respond, 
to the rightful king who is coming to us. Turn, for the rightful king is coming. But what does Jesus add to that? Well, Jesus comes onto the scene, doesn't he, to be baptized by John. And if John has said, turn, for the rightful king is coming, well, Jesus' baptism tells us, trust, for your righteous king has come. Trust, for your righteous king has come. That quote from Malachi 4 goes on, But for ye who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And that is just what happened when Jesus went down to the water to be baptized. Uh, I don't know if if many of you have a a favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, I have a few, but, but actually verse 13 there is way up there for me. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. There's that puzzle that Struan set us earlier in our service. Why, why is this one of the most incredible verses in our Bibles? Why is it so remarkable? Well, because of who he is and because of what he is doing. Remember, who is John getting us ready for? For, for the Lord. God himself is coming down the red carpet. So who is it who comes down that red carpet laid out by John? Jesus from Galilee. Jesus the carpenter. Jesus the king. Do you see the point that Matthew is making that the king of heaven, the divine monarch, God himself, is Jesus Christ. He is who we are getting ready for. He is God. But what does he then do? He goes down into the water and he is baptized by John. But what was that baptism for? We know, don't we? I baptize you with water for repentance. They went confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So so add it up in your mind. Jesus went to receive that baptism. How can you get your head around this? The great king has come... He is Lord of all, God incarnate, and he comes into the water to be baptized as a sinner. How could he do that? Why would he do that? He alone, of all people, has no sins to confess. He has no wrong to turn from. In him there is no shadow of darkness or shade of evil or stain of sin. He does not need to be washed clean. He alone is clean. And surely if we understand this, we're saying in our hearts with John, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and here he is being baptized with water. Do you see now why it's one of the most incredible verses that we could read in our Bibles? Because it tells us that our great God and King came But he came not to thresh and burn sinners, but to stand in the water with sinners. It tells us that our Lord and our God identified with us in our sin. He stood where we belong. He took our guiltiness on himself in the water. He soaked himself in our shame. 
And John says rightly, you have no right to be here. You cannot do this. Listen to Jesus' reply. But you, uh, Jesus said, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What is he saying? He took the demands of God's word on himself. He who is most free, most clean, and submitted to every detail of God's commands, fulfilled all righteousness, lived a perfect life before God, so that even in his baptism, here he is providing a righteousness for us that we do not have in ourselves, that we need to be given by a righteous king. Again, I don't know many of you very well, but this I know, friends, that you have sins to confess today. I have sins to confess today. That we together have sins to turn from. We have a record behind us. Sadly but truly, we have failures ahead of us. But in the water that day, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. He was washed in our sin to clothe us in his righteousness. He took our place in the water so that we could take his place on the throne. And so, friends, we turn to him not in fear, but in faith. Because the one who says, turn to me, is the one who also says, trust in me. We do not come to a king today who is burning with rage, but one who is soaked with compassion and mercy. For he is soaked not only with water, but with his own blood. This baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins would lead him to another baptism. On the way to the cross, Jesus asked his followers, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. What cup? The cup of God's wrath that he was to drain down to the dregs. What baptism? The baptism of fire that he was to endure on the cross. In so many ways, his ministry was a journey from one baptism to another baptism. In the water, Our sins were washed off of us and onto him. On the cross, God's wrath was poured out on him and his righteousness used to cover us. How do we know that that is what his death achieved for us? Because the very final verses of this chapter made clear that that is why he came. The plan hatched in eternity when Jesus was baptized, he immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you see, God the Father was delighted to see his Son in the water with sinners. That is the design, the plan from eternity promised through time that his son Jesus Christ would come and bathe in our sins so that he could die in our place and take God's wrath on our behalf. And so this call to turn to him, 
Please, friends, do not turn to him grudgingly today. Do not do it with your teeth clenched. Do not think, this is okay for today, but tomorrow it's my way again. Rest the full weight of your trust, your life, and your heart on him. He came not to condemn, but to save. In the face of our sin, he suffered and died to wash us clean from our sin, not with the water of baptism, but his own blood poured out on the cross. So that his baptism at the beginning and his death at the end, what does it tell us? That he is a king who is for us. For us from beginning to end. Is that not a king that we would turn to gladly and willingly submit to you today? Is that not a God that you could trust with your whole heart, your whole life today, tomorrow and for the rest of your life? Is he not worthy of turning to and following? He stepped into the water so that you could turn and walk in his way. So let us turn and let us trust in him together. Let's take a moment to pray and bring ourselves to God in his name. Gracious Father, we praise you. We praise you for your love, your wisdom and grace, purposed in eternity past for our salvation. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one who knew no sin, who became sin for us so that we can stand before you today in him and be righteous before you, washed clean from sin, pure in your sight. O Lord, help us, we pray, to lean all of our life upon him. Help us to turn to him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give us this grace, we pray, for we ask in his name. Amen.